Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Before I get into my guest today, I would just like to announce that I will be at AwesomeCon doing three panels, Modern Directors Who Are Not Miyazaki. That will be on June 16th, followed on June 17th by Exploring Dystopia Through Attack on Titan, The Walking Dead, and Fahrenheit 451. It's going to be a great panel. I am super excited to do that panel, as well as a brand new panel, Exploring Gay Comic and Lesbian Creators, which is a brand new panel. Super stoked for that. Can't go into too much detail right now, but you should definitely be there if you're in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest today. Her name is Emily So. She designs graphics for games, as well as several apps, and she has a comic book out called Dinosaurus Rex that has a very unique twist that I don't want to spoil it here. So let's dive right into this interview. Now, you've been working in the art field for a few years now. When did you first discover that you had artistic talent? I basically started drawing when I was three or four years old. My very first drawing was when my dad and my older brother were putting together a computer and I just saw the box, the cover art of this Lion King interactive storybook and it's grown up Simba, not Mufasa. And I drew grown up Simba with a green crayon on a piece of paper and my dad still has it and there's a date on it. And going from there, what type of influences continuously affected you to push you into drawing more and being more artistic? Most of my subject matter was definitely from video games and TV shows or movies, especially video games. When I was seven or eight years old, I was playing Man and Conquer Red Alert and I had this fan art of Stalin and I didn't even know how bad in real life Stalin was, obviously. I just drew him. But my dad pushed me a lot to draw every day. He pushed me to draw cartoons. Mostly Warner Brothers cartoons, and then we went into realism, and from there I became a DeviantArt junkie when I was a teenager, and then I was fully self-motivated. My dad slowed down on pushing me so much, but he was still really critical. Now, you just mentioned some of it, but how do you feel that your style changed throughout your primary schooling, really from you know your elementary years into your high school years? I really wanted to get away from anime style, probably due to college admissions. They tell you, don't draw anime because we want you to be original. And also, I wanted to make my own style, but I'm not even really sure if I have my own style that's like that distinctive. Like other artists, you will see their artwork and know that's theirs. But for me, I don't really have that, but maybe if you see my dinosaurs in my comics, then you will know it's me. But I feel like I'm a bit of a shapeshifter in terms of my style, depending on what clients want and what I'm trying to achieve. I wasn't able to achieve that in primary school because I was focusing on getting the basics right. So in order to develop a style, I had to get portions, anatomy right. But now I just do whatever fits the task. And now uh, you graduated from Carnegie Mellon University in 2012. What was yes. your main focus of study there? I studied fine arts. The school didn't quite have such an extensive animation program. They have really good resources, like Disney Research is right on campus, and I was able to get connections. I was good enough at 3D animation in order to get into the company, but from what I heard from one of my friends, they've extended their animation program a lot more, but at the time when I was there, my focus was fine arts, which means more designed for people getting their artwork into galleries, 
which honestly is not really my scene. But I still learned a lot and all of my classmates were very bright and original and very smart and inspirational. And now despite being that it had more of a fine arts push, your education, you worked on a few app games, including Misogyny, Femme Fatales, and Peter the Polar yeah. Bear. How did these two projects come about? The Adventures of Peter the Polar Bear came first as a project. Actually, both of the games that you just mentioned, I don't think they're apps. They're technically just these makeshift games on the computer. Peter the Polar Bear was for Environmental Hackfest, the class. It was a mix between all the tech students with the art students and just finding ways to present problems with the environment and be more environmental. And so the programmer is now my current boyfriend. And I had so much fun with that project. I spent 35 hours in two weeks on making the graphics, which is just for one class. That's a lot of time. That was a really fun project. And there were two other guys other than my boyfriend and me working on the project, but it was an awesome project. And then Massage of Femme Fatale was my senior art project because I had this project idea and I wanted to do it as a side project, but my roommate was like, why don't you just do it as your senior art project was like you know what okay I'll do it and my current boyfriend is also the programmer for that game and that in retrospect people around me knew that there was something up with the content it's so shock value and so vulgar and it made people uncomfortable and they laughed nervously not because it was actually funny but it is funny but it's vulgar and makes you really nervous and I think I made that because that's what the art school wanted me to do I feel like because the things that they showed us were all shock value or things that aggravated you or stimulated intellectual discussion and that's what Massage Femme Fatale did but in the end I realized you know what as a game there's nothing new about it but as an arts reskin of all my real-time strategy games that I love to play like Starcraft or the Command and Conquer games it's just a reskin but from the art perspective it's interesting to see but I wanted to see an absurd real-time strategy game. And now this game being it's your project, there's voice work involved in this. How did you organize every component of this game? I just <clears throat> went around campus. I thought of some people that I knew and invited them to voice act for me. <laughs> and we just took the time to do that and took them into the recording studio and then just gave the assets to the programmer and they put it in there. And most of the voice actors were in the art school, so they weren't hesitant to say something a little vulgar or suggestive. And now you design a lot of graphics for games. How much background experience do you have in graphic design and computer programming and that aspect of art? So I am not formally trained as a graphic designer. And even though I have taken classes in programming, I really suck at programming and I would also say I suck at graphic design but I realized coming out of school, that's not the end of my education. The rest of my education is just me reaching out, especially over the internet, and learning all these things myself, either from watching people on YouTube do it, or look what the professionals have done, or ask my boyfriend for help on programming, or figure it out myself, which actually most of my marketable skills <laughs> I've learned by myself. So I just had to figure it out as I went along, and that goes to show that the most important thing, whether you go to school or not, is you yourself reaching out and going and getting things that you need in order to get to where you want to be. 
And if I had to learn a new piece of software by myself, which I have, in order to get things done, then I will do it. If I have to learn programming, God forbid. <laughs> I really do want to. I want to make my own point-and-click adventure games. And I know it's very doable, and I think it will come to that eventually. And technically, I have programmed a little something, but have not spent that many hours on it quite yet. And now to continue talking about your graphic design and what you've done for games in 2013 you were part of creating a few apps for the company going at mobile games how are you discovered by this company it was through elance.com online freelancing marketplace that was my very first legit gig where i actually got paid steadily i made a few mistakes as a freelancer at first but the guy was really patient with me he saw my stuff that i did from college and then he hired me and and then I was able to complete the first project, and he said, okay, here's the next one, and then I completed that one, and so on. And working for this company, how much freedom did you have in creating these apps? Basically, he told me, work with this theme, whether it's Halloween or dragons or dinosaurs, and then just do these graphics and he would just give me very general descriptions. If there were any reference images, I would follow them. Otherwise, I felt like there was a lot of freedom. But of course, it was pretty much fixed price. So I had to make sure I didn't get too ambitious, otherwise I'd be making myself get exploited. But otherwise, it was super fun. The client was very fun to work with and was very nice to me and allowed me a lot of freedom. So even if he did give me a lot of specifics, I'd still have fun. And now while working on these graphics for these apps, you also worked on Heart of the Jungle doing visual design. How did that differ from the previous job? I did all the graphics for that game as well. So that was for a global game jam. That role was different in that I wasn't getting paid for it, but it was a side project thing. It is very different because global game jam takes place within the weekend and I didn't sleep much, which is fine. It's like a game making marathon. It's kind of like like a race against time, trying to make sure that your game is better than your competitors, but also just the fun of making games in a marathon. And then following this, you worked on Queen at Arms, which is available on Steam as the character colorist, the GUI, and cutscene artist. How did you become part of this game? So the team leader of Heart of the Jungle, he's known me since towards the end of my college years. So he had me be one of the artists on the team. So I'm known to be reliable. Usually when I say I will deliver something. So that game took a long time to get out. When you develop a game, you think you're gonna release it or you think you're gonna make your deadlines that you first designate and then you push it back at least 10 more times until you find that you've been working on the same game for two years or more and then fixing bugs and tying up loose ends. I'm really happy working with the team leader, Rostin Murphy. He's an excellent guy to work with because he has so much energy and works harder than anybody and suffers more than anybody on the team, which is good for a leader because then it ups the level of energy of everyone else and he's a good role model in that way. And how do you feel that the game is on Steam rather than being on an app? Do you feel that it's more prestigious? I feel as if apps 
are more for casual gamers because when I think app, I think the mobile devices like your phone and iPads or tablets. It's for people who are riding on a train and stuff like that. But on Steam, I think more like computers. And I think that's a little bit more for serious gamers who will sit down and focus instead of being on a train casually. So in a way, maybe it is more prestigious, especially Queen at Arms is catered towards a very specific audience. People who like visual novels, I don't think visual novels as being very mainstream. They're not like first person shooters or MMOs. You gotta read through stuff and make decisions, especially in Queen at Arms. You can die from your decisions are very real, but it is quite thrilling to have been part of a project that ended up on Steam. Now, you also worked on the app Bounty Farm Animals for Juby App Games. What was your role with this game? I did all the graphics. It was a pretty short gig. The client just wanted me to reskin a game because the mechanics are literally Flappy Bird and it's called Don't Touch the Spikes. You just flap the bird around and don't touch the spikes. You have to bump from vertical wall to the other vertical wall on your screen and just bump as many times as you can and that's your score until you hit a spike and you lose. It's actually a very addictive but very simple game mechanic. So I reskinned that game and the UI and the character in the background and the spikes themselves. And out of all your game work, what was your biggest challenge in any game? Basically, it was pretty much like starting out, and that's all in college. Well, I didn't feel like it was hard because I didn't really feel the pain. So basically, in college at Carnegie Mellon, there is a club called Game Creation Society. So in Game Creation Society, what commonly happened was you get a game development team and then in the beginning of the semester everybody's really enthusiastic everybody makes the meetings and then by the end there's two people at a game creation society meeting so I was one of the flakes and in my freshman year I was an extreme flake but this doesn't just apply to making games it applies to anything else just becoming a reliable worker especially when they're side projects so just learning to be reliable and learning to be very responsive. And I don't normally tell people this, but I guess to make this very real, but Rostin, the team leader of Queen at Arms, actually sort of kicked my ass when I didn't show up to meetings. So then after that, I didn't disappoint people again. And I think Chris, my boyfriend, who also programmed a bunch of my games, he also kind of kicked my ass. So getting kicked in the ass for not being reliable and making sure I delivered things on time or made meetings and made sure I communicated, that was the hardest part. After that, I don't think I've really had very difficult game projects. They're all really fun. And as long as I deliver and do my part, there aren't any problems on my end. And now also with games, you've developed sprites for games. How did you come across into that field? My very, very, very first actual paid gig was in freshman year and I was really, really smug. I would still consider myself smug, but not nearly as much as when I was in freshman year. So it was within the school, there's this forum that the marketplace 
And one of my friends referred this guy to me because he found this gig where someone was looking for an artist to make graphics for his game. So pretty much on that first summer, I worked on that game and I don't even know if it's been released or they actually programmed in my graphics. But so that was my very first gig. And the first time I heard about Great Game Creation Society at Carnegie Mellon, I was like, you guys make games? I just love video games and I would love to make them because I'm an artist. Why not? So Game Creation Society helped because it made me learn about pipeline and what needed to be done and so on. Now getting jobs in making games. You don't have to go to school in order to do that because I didn't take any classes in school that formally taught me how to do from sketches to final implemented graphics. No teacher taught me that. People just told me to do it and then I figured it out from there and the first time I made like an idle animation of a guy just standing there. I didn't understand animation. I didn't understand what it took to make a really subtle animation. So my guy looked like he was just standing there humping the air. So when you look at animations of Dota characters, they're just rocking around, but it really looks like they're idle and it looks kind of normal, but you got to make sure they don't look like they're actually doing something. So it's just a way to make them look alive, but not actually doing anything. But in order to get into game jobs, in my case, indie game jobs, simply demonstrate that you can do the job by showing something for it. You can't just say that you can do it. If you're an artist, you have to have a portfolio of graphics, whether it's animated sprites or a video of gameplay footage of your graphics that definitely helps a lot or concept art that you could definitely see an actual game concept art that people could post on their site so don't put on just sketches unless they look absolutely amazing don't expect to get a gig from unfinished work make sure everything is very polished and professional looking and that when you put your work next to professionals or highly acclaimed indie games do they compare and do they seem legit are they that developed basically just make sure your work is very polished and professional and can actually be compared or compete with other indie games. And now you've also done some animation work using GIMP, Toon Boom, and Flash Animation, as well as using 2D, hand-drawn, combination, and hybrid styles of each of those. How did you get into that entire realm of art? So I've been using GIMP pretty much most of my life by now. Actually, I animated everything in The Adventures of Peter the Polar Bear and Massage of Femme Fatale. I animated all of those animations in GIMP, which was extremely inefficient, but I didn't know any better at the time. I didn't know that there was a better piece of software for that. I really didn't want to use Flash. I technically knew how to use Flash, but I really don't want to do vector graphics. And I got really passionate about frame-by-frame -frame animation because working for Disney I guess I'm a little nostalgic, even though I didn't grow up on the best Disney cartoons. They're silly symphonies, and they're old shorts. They're all frame-by-frame frame drawn. And there's a very different feel to that, and I'm very passionate 
about making sure I animate frame by frame unless it's absolutely necessary that I copy and paste and change things around. If it's more efficient that way, then I will copy and paste. But otherwise, I want to make the feel of my animations. You can feel the hand of the artist in their work and breathe some soul and life into whatever I'm animating. For example, my comic, Dinosaurus Rex. If I were to do an animation, I would never do it in 3D. I would never do it in vector. I make sure that it's frame by frame, hand drawn. Actually, I've technically never made any animations on paper. I do it either all in GIMP or with Doom Boom. And I haven't used Flash since my freshman year in college. Pretty much right now, it is Toon Boom and GIMP. And eventually, I want to use TV Paint. It's mostly my passion and also makes me stand out because fewer and fewer people are doing frame-by-frame animation. So it makes me stand out and makes my services very unique and have its own niche. And now to talk about Dinosaurus Rex, what was the inspiration for that comic? So initially, Dinosaurus Rex was a school assignment. So the assignment was to create a storyboard and tell a story of whatever. So then each student in the class showed their storyboards. Then we voted for the best storyboards. And then after that round, if you make the cut, then you do the next round of storyboards. And so I revised mine. And then after the second round, that story ultimately got animated. As I was thinking of ideas, I was trying to tell a story that was too intricate. So then I tried thinking a little bit more simply. Well, what is something Thing that every day people go through that I can have a little discussion about in the form of an animation. So then I thought about what happens at a family dinner table that can typically happen. And it's very nuanced things going on, whether it's table manners or making sure your kid eats right or dealing with your kid when they don't want to eat something that they don't like. For example, when I was little and my little brother was really young, he didn't like to eat greens and he didn't like to eat vegetables. So what what my mother ended up doing was making smoothies that tasted very nice and sweet and palatable for my younger brother. So she would mix in vegetables like spinach or salads into fruit and ice cream smoothies and then give it to my younger brother. But what's really funny about the smoothies was that they were green and the green came from the leafy greens that my younger brother kept avoiding. So in my very first storyboard, they ultimately blend the animal that the baby dinosaur refused to eat. So in that way, I ultimately made part of a comic series that is about the things that we deal with in family, but without any dialogue, so that everybody can understand regardless of age and language. And now this comic has no words, which is unique in itself. How do you go about conveying the plot, the emotion, and the message that you're trying to achieve without using words. It's all in the expressions and their poses and putting in some action into the still images and really putting myself in that position because all of my characters, they all have a part of me, a different side of me. Mamasaurus comes from my maternal instincts. I'm not a mother yet, but maternal instincts is in Mamasaurus. And then the good, well-behaved side of me 
me is in the well-behaved dinosaur, sweetie dino. And in baby dino, I just want to do whatever I want and I want to just forget about what I should be doing. Baby dino, his eyes are like everywhere. He's like cross-eyed and his eyes are looking in different directions, each of them. And I feel like I made him like that, not only to make him look cute, but also to represent the part of me that daydreams so much. To represent the idea that I'm so unfocused and I'm easily distracted and I'd rather be somewhere else. Even though technically, like my real life right now, I'm living the dream as a freelance artist, but still somehow I'm always daydreaming. And baby Dino, his eyes are elsewhere, just like my mind is always elsewhere. And he's always misbehaving and doing what he's not supposed to be doing, but people love him. And now this comic also inspired a game that you created. When did you go about creating the game side of this entire comic? So the idea of the game is that when you have fans, they want more content. Not only just the comic itself. When you're a fan of Disney characters, for example, it is a huge fulfillment of your dreams to go to Disney World and to be able to touch and interact with and take pictures with your favorite characters. So I can't make a Dinosaurus Rex land, but the closest thing to that I can do right now is probably make plush dolls, which I haven't really found a plush doll maker yet who I can hire and make them for me. But other than that, I know how to make video games. My boyfriend is a programmer, can program games, and I can do all the graphics, so why not? And that's another way at the conventions to get people at my table and to stay there and to really get sold on the idea of buying one of my comics and also spreading the word about Dinosaurus Rex. So even when nobody's playing it, you have the idle animation of Baby Dino just sitting there with his tongue out drooling and looking off into another direction daydreaming about what food you're about to give him next. And being able to see something move on the table that's like really cute and draws people in and you can have the chance to feed him or interact with him. So I think that interactivity, especially in the case of video games, is like one of the greatest pieces of art that I can do because it's a very different experience than just reading a book or just looking at a still image or watching a movie. But games are interactive and you have an influence over your experience and that is the reason why I made the game. And do you feel that making the game, you would also transition the comic into an anime TV series or a YouTube animation short type series? I would very much like to at least start with some short animations, maybe some very short looping animations. I've had many ideas, including a painting, just like I've done with pictures of them around a campfire cooking a fish or that Thanksgiving feast picture. I originally wanted that Thanksgiving feast picture to be animated with baby Dino shoving the food into his mouth or sweetie Dino chewing on the food and the fire flickering in the furnace so that it's moving. And actually before I started the comic series, so this was after school, I started making a 2D animation that I meant to finish in a year or two, but it was taking way too long to share it because I can't really show someone a five second animation and expect them to get as much excitement about it as a full colored page of comics per week or something like that. 
But otherwise, someday, after I finish putting out all my comics, like I have four or five more books left after the books that I've been working on. And hopefully I'll have a huge following and maybe do a Kickstarter for getting an animation done. And now, given the fact that you've been involved in many different art fields, what advice do you have for people who want to get into any aspect of art? I've done a lot of roles as an artist, from illustration to costume design, animation, game graphic designer. If you want to get into the industry, work for a big company, working 9 to 5 with benefits, if you get hired as an employee, you will need to have a very specialized skill set. You can't be a jack of all trades like me. I'm not in the big industry. I'm an indie artist because I'm doing what I really, really want to do. If you wanted to work for a network or Nickelodeon, you'd have to cater to a certain style that they want you to draw in. If you're animating for one of their cartoons, you have to draw exactly like the cartoon. And I guess that's not really what I was very interested in, but it's about catering your work and your style if you want to get into the actual industry in a big company. Otherwise, if you want to become a freelance artist, you have to put yourself out there. And the way I've made it work was have an online portfolio. And the way I've advertised myself was going on video game forums, whether on reddit.com, on the subreddit, Reddit Game Dev Classifieds and posting your stuff up there and saying what do your services entail. And on the forums, there's tigsource.com, there's Way of the Pixel, there's Indie Dev, a bunch of other sites where people could actually find you. And surprisingly, a lot of these people can't actually afford a higher rate that you can live off of. And once you build a reputation, especially on sites like Upwork.com, because Elance.com is not really there anymore. It merged with Upwork.com, which used to be Odesk.com. So Upwork.com, I have a lot of reviews, especially positive reviews. So for your very first job as a freelance artist, take anything, even if it pays very, very low, the most important thing is that they hire you and you do the work, deliver the work consistently, and then get them to write a review for you. And hopefully it's a five-star review. And then after that, make sure that your portfolio is visible on your profile on Upwork.com or your website and keep advertising yourself. I'm not sure if I've gotten any clients through comic conventions because I passed out a lot of business cards, but I don't think I've gotten any paying clients through that. Most of my paying clients have been through either mutual contacts from my network at Carnegie Mellon or having posted on those forums online. So the main thing is present yourself well, present yourself a lot, and keep working on your portfolio because your portfolio is never done. You are always sharpening it. You will always be getting better as long as you keep working hard at it. Take advice from other artists with experience and look at artwork that is better than your own and keep learning because I don't think I'll ever stop learning. And then finally, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Twitter, website, work that's coming out? You can literally Google Dinosaurus Rex and that is spelled D. I-N-N-E-R-S-A-U-R-U-S, Dinosaurus, and then Rex, R-E-X. The reason why I'm saying this is because the URL is just so hard to find. And you will find, probably from my Facebook page, the page itself, or other places where I've published Dinosaurus Rex. Otherwise, on my website, you can find at emilyso.com, that is E-M-I-L-Y-S-O.com. And where can people pick up a copy of Dinosaurus Rex? 
Actually, I have an Etsy page, but if you have a hard time finding all these pages, you can email me at emilyso321 at gmail.com, E-M-I-L-Y-S-O-321 at gmail.com to make sure that I get your message and then I can get your address and ship you one. My first complete issue is $10, and right now I'm also selling the preview issue of my second issue for $5. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode, and you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. In the meanwhile, while you wait for next week's episode, you could definitely follow us on Twitter at PopAnimeComics. Check us out at PopAnimeComics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as we have a Patreon up and running. It's PopAnimeComics on Patreon. Every dollar helps to keep this podcast up and running and to continuously expand. And if you can't donate, completely understand, but please consider writing a review on iTunes, sharing with your friends, because that helps us to grow. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.